Welcome to The Storytellers, the radio show and podcast that features those who choose to leave their mark on the world through the art of story. I'm your host, Grace Salmon. I look forward to our time together today. Now, let's meet our storyteller. Edie Clay writes award-winning, steamy, feminist historical romance. She's written an amazing series that we'll be talking about today. She's published short stories, poems, nonfiction. She's co-written and starred in several short films and documentaries. There's so much to talk about from women alpinists to women boxers. Edie, welcome to the Storyteller's Microphone. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have you. When I first met you through Paper Lanterns Writers, I knew nothing about women boxers, alpinists. Um, Historical fiction was always my go-to. Now I'm broader than that. So quite honestly, I didn't know where to start when I um, invited you onto the show because there's so much that I want to talk to you about. But let's start with the thing I knew least about women boxers. Yes, this is something that most people don't know about. And we can, of course, thank the Victorians for wiping that history right out. (laughs) So the heyday, well, I'll start at the very beginning. So 1681 was when the first prize fighting match was held in England. And that was uh, a very aristocratic gentleman pitted his butler against his butcher. And that was the first prize fight. You can guess who won. (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking the butcher. The butcher one, yes. Never, yeah, just don't bet against a guy who deals with knives for a living. There you go. Fast forward, uh, the heyday of prize fighting really started getting going about the 1720s. And this is when it started to really deviate out of the dueling traditions that had already existed. You know, I've got a sword, you've got a sword, and we're going to, you know, swipe at each other for honor. But prize fighting was always for money. So you would have boxing matches which was not a term they used at the time, um, prize fighting matches that they would have to uh, agree ahead of time what weapons they were going to use and with whether they were going to just be just fists or if they were going to have swords or shields or whatever it was going to be. And we have record about 1722 was the first time Elizabeth Wilkinson Stokes uh, shows up in the newspaper and she challenges this woman to fight with a half crown piece in each hand. So that means that you have fists that are clenched. Whoever drops the coin first loses. So it was also a way because hair pulling was legal, eye gouging was legal, scratching is legal, biting is legal. All of those things are legal to do. But if you keep your hands you know, curled around that crown piece, then that means that you are not going to be able to do any of those other nasty bits. So eventually, over the course of about 10 years, not quite, she ends up becoming the biggest name in boxing. She has her own amphitheater. She is challenged by name by other women. She's challenged by men, but men and women were not allowed to fight each other. So the men would challenge her and her husband, James Stokes, and they were the ones who owned the amphitheater. But if you, li- if you look at the actual wording in the newspaper, they say it's her amphitheater. So they want to challenge her because of what she said. So it's it's pretty fascinating to see this just powerhouse of a woman. The only thing we know is that she was a small and agile Englishwoman. That's the only physical description we have so far. 
how did you stumble upon her and how does this turn into your amazing series? So I was writing Regency romance. Um, I've always been a historical reader. That is just what I love. And I always wanted to be a writer since I was like nine. And so I was looking into this and I wrote this Regency story that I really didn't like. I didn't like my voice in it. I didn't like what was happening. It was boring. And so I started just like, okay, I'm going to go deeper into the Regency. Just I'm going to learn a little bit more, see what I can find. Because I knew the basic rules, but like, let's get the meat. And the Georgians were so much messier than the Victorians. The Georgians were cursing and fornicating and there's a whole- Going mad. Going mad, yes. I mean, they were hard drinking, hard partying people. And the Victorians wanted like, let's make them more proper. (laughs) And there's um, one of my research books by, the uh, historian, David, oh, his last name starts with an O. I'm blanking on it right now. Um, He said that it's easy for us to look back at this very symmetrical architecture, beautiful, pristine columns, and think this is the mindset of an entire generation. Not true. Not true. So uh, we have that idea of them that is really a, a facade in of itself. So uh, I took all of this information of, of pro- propriety, and then I found a reference of two women getting into it at a country house fighting over a man. And they were, they were at fisticuffs in the, in the boxing way, I think is what they, it was termed or something like that. You know, so they had their dresses down. Um, so female boxers would pull the tops of their dresses down Uh, So they were still, and take their stays off, which was considered being naked. In in satirical cartoons, they often show uh, one of the opponents with their boobs out, but it's not necessarily true. Just uncorseted. Yes, exactly. They're still wearing their chemise underneath um, and all of that. And there are some competitions that specifically said that the women were wearing short jackets to preserve their modesty. And it was one of those ways that you could tell the difference between women who are athletes who are actually working hard versus women who were up there for what we would probably call foxy boxing. So they were likely, you know, belong to the brothel down the street. And that was, that was definitely in the culture as well. But we've forgotten these amazing female athletes who went round for round. I mean, we're talking about hours long matches bouts that no modern competitor would would ever commit to because they're twice as long and they only had 30 seconds in between rounds to get back in there. So you got fascinated because you saw this little bit and let's talk about how this plays out in your series. Sure. So I moved things forward a little bit into the Regency times. Um, So I have my first book is A Lady's Revenge and you have an Earl's daughter. I wanted to turn this trope on its head, the trope of, you know, you have your brooding aristocratic man who has anger management issues, and he meets this wonderful Snow White-like female who manages to just love him through all of his pain, and that cures him forever. And then they have babies, and everything's wonderful. And I wanted to turn that and gender swap it. So I have a brooding aristocrat who has anger management issues and turns to boxing to help that, but that's the woman. 
And my male character is a former prize fighter turned stockbroker, which at the time was a very disreputable thing to do, but it made you lots of money. So it made you very popular with the aristocrats who might need some investment help. And he uh, agrees to take her on as a boxing student as a, a as a thing, as a favor to do for his best friend growing up, who is the female boxer of uh, the next book, The Boxer and the Blacksmith, who is London's invincible championess, which is what Elizabeth Wilkinson Stokes called herself. So that's kind of the beginning. So my, my first book has that grumpy versus sunshine kind of trope in there. Um, someone said that she was almost feral in her anger which I also feel like was really important to put in there because female anger is underrated, man. It is intense. <laughs> I've heard hell hath no fury, like. <laughs> yeah. Or you don't have to be scorned. Maybe you're just mad. <laughs> you're just mad. Um, when I first uh, heard you and listened to you, I was very impressed by the feminist side of this. You like telling the stories of untold women. Yes, very much so. I feel like there are other authors who are giving women their due in uh, sciences and in the suffragette and the political areas. And that is wonderful. And I love those books. But I also feel like the, the physical aspect of women is often overlooked. And I encountered this myself. Um, I dabbled in climbing when I was younger. And I would encounter this idea when I was not on the rock, but out in just general public. And they would say, oh, well, of course your husband's better than you at climbing. And I was like, well, yeah, but that's because he's got 10 years on me. Like, of course he's better. <laughs> he's way more experienced. But in general, the general population, women are far better climbers because we have more flexibility. We have better uh, weight to muscle ratio. Ballerinas are the best climbers. They also have incredible endurance. And these aspects of athleticism, we don't give credit where they really, it's really due, you know, um, and I, that is in the past as well as in the present. You're so, also part of a female dive team, a very special female dive team. Talk about that. So in 2016, uh, Patty, which is the uh, international diving group, they decided they were going to have an international women's day, women's dive day. And so on that day, I, with a group of other people, went scuba diving and we dove all five Great Lakes in 24 hours, which if you live in the Midwest, you know how incredibly difficult that is to do. Um, we had Absolutely. over a thousand miles of driving. Uh, we started at midnight in the Upper Peninsula in Michigan. And we started there and it was a beautiful, it's a, it was a dark sky park. And so we were in the middle of this giant moon and we were out in the middle of the water. It was freezing. <laughs> but I basically wore a wetsuit for 24 hours and we made it all the way through and we finished in Lake Erie and, uh, at 10 p.m. It was great. And I'm glad if, we're... Yeah, if you guys want to watch it, it's uh, Big Five Dive and you can find it on Vimeo and YouTube. And it was lovely. Well, I'm glad we get to tell part of your story as well. Why the Regency period? Why are you fascinated by that particular period? Oh, the real answer is money. It's <laughs> no. not a bad answer. <laughs> so if you look at what sells, 
romance outsells every genre, period, the end, not even close. Then if you look inside the, the genre of romance, then contemporary gets the most of that historicals. The most popular historical period is Regency. So I knew that I wanted to write historical. I've never wanted to write anything but historical fiction. So I thought, okay, all right, I will, I will jump into the Regency, even though the Regency, just like the Wild West, only 10 years long, but yet it captures our imagination. And who was on the throne then, for those of us who just don't know our Regency yes. periods? Yes. So when you talk about the Regency, you are referring specifically to England or right. the UK. And at that point, George III, who was also the king who lost America, if you want to think about it that, or think about it as Hamilton, the Hamilton king. Yes. So he went mad. Oh, also Queen Charlotte, the Bridgerton spinoff. That's that king. So he went mad, and so in 1811, his son became, who is the Prince Regent or the Prince of Wales, who was known as Prinny, uh, he became the official regent, which means that King George III was not making decisions anymore. So the Prince Regent came. He was very unpopular by the time that came around because he had a huge spending habit. He was he was definitely out on the town all oh, 24 seven, and then. Um, in 1820, George III dies, and the Prince Regent becomes George IV. So that's that lineage. Perfect to know about that. One of the things in your biography, you, you say you write steamy, feminist, historical romance. Parse that out for us. And I bet something along those lines has also to do with money. Yes. So <laughs> Steamy, of course, is talking about how much sexual content you have in yours. So um, I patterned my books off of the Avon historicals. So I have graphic content. However, the graphic content is always in service to the story. It's character development. It's intimacy. It is not sex for sex sake. It is, it is there because this is what furthers the plot. And there are other people who are better practitioners than me at this. Uh, Sarah McLean, I think, is one of the best who does this. If you take those sex scenes out of the book, you lose plot. And that's the important aspect of the difference between what is steamy versus what is like erotica. Okay. And then feminist, because we think we touched on that and uh, the other pieces as well. I love that you are candid about your writing because you want to earn money at your craft, which you should. Um, well, I've been at this for a long time. <laughs> so I did get my MFA in creative writing uh, back in 2005. I, that's what I did right after college. I went to grad school. I've written reviews. I've, I've hustled every which way I could hustle um, for writing. And now that I'm, I'm, I'm to a point where I'm like, okay, this is it. I've, I've done the craft work. I've done all of this other stuff. Now, now it's time to make this a career, a viable career. Is it formulaic? I would say no. Um, and it's formulaic in the way that anybody's recipe is formulaic, where if I say, you know, let's all make pumpkin pies and we'll all bring them and we'll have a taste test. Well, everyone's pumpkin pie is going to be different because they're going to use a slightly different recipe. They're going to use uh, some, you're going to get a little dazzle over here, some crumble over here. It's kind of the same thing with any book. You have all these elements, you put them together and you 
still need to have a character that changes. You still need to have a plot that moves you forward. And you still need to have an emotional resonance with your reader. And that's any book. So whether or not you're going to have it be a love story or a mystery, it doesn't really matter. There, it, it, to say that romance is formulaic is to say that every book is formulaic. In my are, you, are you a plotter? Do you outline? I do. I'm a plotter, but I often deviate from my plot. <laughs> so um, in my third book, I had a big, a big deviation where um, a lady's finder, which was a finalist for a Lambda award. I had a moment where on my paper, she was going to go out. There was a party. She was going to go out and the love interest was going to secret her away to the gardens and they were going to change into breaches and she was going to go running through the town with with this person and then i realized as i'm writing it i get to that point where she's supposed to say yes and change clothes in a garden and i was like no and she's, and that's what she says she's like no i'm not an idiot i know what's going to happen if i get caught out here changing clothes I'm an Earl's daughter. You're a fortune seeker. I know what's going on here. And she storms back into the ballroom. And I was like, oh, yeah. Gonna have I love to it. That. <laughs> you surprised me and um, delighted me with the um, information on boxing. You're now working on a series of alpinists. Yes. So my next Again. series. Yeah. <laughs> Who knew? I know. Uh, so my next series is uh, going with Dragonblade Publishing. It will be out next August. It's a four-part series called the Ladies Alpine Society. And it is about a group of women trying to climb the Matterhorn in the Victorian era. So the first ascent of the Matterhorn was in 1866 by a man, Edward Wimper. Uh, it was six people. Three of them died on the way down. So at that point, Queen Victoria says, and one of them was an English lord. It was a British expedition. And Queen Victoria says, that's it. No one should climb a mountain. This is ridiculous. We're not spilling the peerage's blood on this mountain. But of course you can't ban people from climbing mountains. So then in 1871, two women competed inadvertently to be the first woman to the top. And they were like, I think numbers 15 and 16 respectively for that number of ascents that had made it at that point. Um, there, the person who invented the climbing harness, the first climbing harness was a woman in 1898. There is a French woman in the uh, early 1800s who is credited with climbing a lot of the early French mountains. Uh, women have been going up mountains forever. There's a wonderful George Sands quote, uh, which said, if I wanted someone to bring me flowers, I would climb up a mountain and pick them myself. And it's just, I think, just so indicative of how women need to be outside just as much as men need to be outside. So how did you stumble, if you will, across this story? Uh, this one, well, so there is a part of the world that I like to go to with my family. We've been there four or five times now, and it is this tiny little town, uh, in Italy. Technically it's Italy. It's actually South Tyrol, and it is right on the mountains between, uh, Switzerland and Italy. And that is basically where a lot of this climbing stuff takes place. So it's also the past that Julius Caesar came through with, you know, when he was, on his way to take over Rome and all these places. It's a really historic area. And I don't know, I love it there. It feels like home. Um, and I don't know when I found out about the women in the Matterhorn. 
I just knew that women, you know, just in the reading that I'd done, I knew that women were up in the mountains and. Well, I wish we had hours and hours to talk <laughs> more, Edie, um, from women boxers to the Regency period to just the pure mechanics of your brilliant writing. I'm so glad you joined me on the Storyteller's Microphone today. Thank you so much, Grace. I really enjoyed being here. I hope you come back and we'll talk about how the Alpinist series comes out. Yes. Sounds great. This has been a copyrighted episode of The Storytellers by Grace Salmon and Authors on the Air, Global Radio Network. Thanks for being with us. That concludes this episode of The Storytellers. I'm so glad you could be part of the story today. I hope you share the stories, tell your own, and come back for another episode. Because when our stories are told, everything changes. I'm Grace Salmon.